0: alright cool hey, let's pray real quick uh, Lord thank you so much uh, for bringing us here this morning thank you for loving us uh, Lord we love to live um, in the world that you created and we love to live in the world that uh, that you've removed death from Lord help us to remember over and over again today that you have removed death from this world amen alright hey my name is Trey Foster and I go here just like you do Um, I'm a teacher at Salem High School I also work for Young Life part-time but in case you didn't know if you go here they just let you come up here and speak so just send Josh an email send them your credentials I guess and um, they'll give you an audition it's it's worth it Um, it's weird there's a lot of chords up here it's fun I feel like it's you guys are might watch me trip and fall but that's okay Um, the past couple weeks months really we've been going through James in fact we are now at the end of the book of James um, and I've gotten to speak on it some and you might have heard me say that James is my favorite book of the Bible I love it it's the first book of the Bible that I've ever really read um, and it is a book of transformation it's a book that as we read uh, we are called to look within ourselves and kinda question um, who we are, how we live, how we interact with the people around us, uh, and then put that to work. It's it's kind of a both and. It's a it's theology as well as like legs, like putting that to work and and moving forward with that. So um, I love that James is a book of of no nonsense, and and you'll see at the end of of James here how he ends this letter. Uh, it's kind of funny. You can just kind of see his personality in this. I imagine James being not like boring uh, but definitely dry like very to the point like he just doesn't have time to mince words and and i think a lot of that comes from uh understanding the the need to like get this done now this urgency of of like jesus has left and they're trying to like spread the gospel and people are being persecuted and people are starting to get things wrong a little bit and so james sends this letter to a group of people Uh, as as a sort of a correction and he ends on this sort of um really fun topic of correction of of of, you know telling people when they're wrong and i don't know about you but that is an uncomfortable thing for me i don't really love going up to someone being like hey here's where you're wrong um according to god Uh, and so we're gonna look at that today and that's gonna be great but he ends the book of james Uh, like this. It says, uh, this is uh, 512, or 519, or something, it's 19. Um, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death, and cover over a multitude of sins. Okay, there's a lot here. Um, He is ending his letter with this, right? Like, we have this whole letter who's, that has talked about, you know, like, kind of practice what you preach. Like, you can't just, you know, say you're about it. You got to be about it, but you also, also, you know, have to, you know, follow along and, and listen to the people around you. You got to watch what you say. You got to, you know, take careful attention to, like, what you do and what you say if you're going to be in front of people. It's a very kind of corrective thing. And he ends with if anybody walks away from this, you got to go get them back. Like, you've got to go and yank them back into the circle. Um, Not for the sake of religiousness or following the rules, right? That wouldn't go along with what he's been saying this whole time. Uh, But it's for the sake of the church, of this family that they have started to build, that is starting to grow and basically spread throughout the entire world. And he's saying, if you see one of your brothers or sisters do this, you've got to go grab them. And it's really important for us to realize that he says brothers or sisters here. This is not a challenge for you to go and point fingers at people that do not live within the gospel boundaries. This is not a call to go and like yell at people. This is a call to faithfully listen to the Lord and then step into a very uncomfortable place of correcting other Christians. People who have, you have mutually, like, looked each other in the face and been like, we're doing this together. So, like, people that you're sitting next to right now, this is who you can do this with. But keep that in mind. This is not, this is not like, hey, go out and, like, yell at people in the streets. It's just not, not how this works. Um, but the number one thing that this says here that really sticks out to me is the word death that it says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And I think we could look at this in two ways. One would be like super literally and be like, man, what they're doing will kill them, which might be true. Like there are decisions that will lead you down a path that will ultimately end your life sooner. Uh, But I think that this is also talking about spiritual death. And spiritual death is not necessarily a single point in time it's not like just like you died spiritual death can last your whole life uh, and that is what we want to protect each other from is this idea that we are or this concept of, of spiritual death where we could possibly just kind of be deteriorating and, and experiencing the world um, and in only its broken state when we in reality we know that the world is being restored through us and so uh, I want to look at a story today that i think shows a really good example of of how to do this and uh it's also from one of my favorite books of the bible my favorite book of the old testament it's in second samuel and we're going to take a look at king david who is a great guy like it, by all standards is like a good person and but he does some really stupid things and a guy comes to him and corrects him. So um, if you have a Bible with you, this is where we're going to spend most of our time, is in 2 Samuel. So if you have one, follow along. It's also up on the screen, but you don't get to like write notes on the screen or anything like that. So it's just not quite as exciting. But before we get into this, um, let's get a little context here. Because we're going we're to gonna, kind of skip over all the stuff that David did as far as reading goes. But I'm totally going to tell you about it, because it's a wild story. So King David... Right? He was chosen as a young boy by God to, to be king. Israel had been begging for a king. They wanted to be like everybody else, and God was supposed to be their king. And he was like, if you want a king, I'll give you a king, but he's going to be everything that you never wanted. And so they got Saul, and Saul was a jerk, and they thought he was going to be cool because he was tall. I don't know why that was a thing for them, but they were like, tall guys make good kings. Give us a tall guy. And they they did. God gave him a tall king, and he was good-looking. And he just screwed everything up. And so in his grace, God was like, all right, rewind. I'll give you a different king. But I'm going to give you this king at the same time that you have another king. And it got really confusing and weird, and he was like, David's king, but Saul's already king. And, And it just got really crazy. And David grows up, and he kills Goliath, and he fights a lion and stuff. And it's just it's awesome. He's a cool guy. You should read about it. But then, all that kind of aside, he becomes king. There's no other kings. He's made king, uh, and he has power. And as we know, when people have power, they start to get a little squirrely. David gets real squirrely. And he is out looking over his kingdom one day, and he sees a woman bathing. Uh, And that could mean a whole lot of things. We don't really need to get into the details of that. But he really liked what he saw and so he sent for someone to go and get her and as a child like growing up in the church like i always kind of thought that was like a nice thing like it was like like the king wants to see you um i don't know i don't think that's exactly how that went down like he like she didn't really have a choice here and so she had to go back to the palace uh and and he slept with her and the biggest problem here uh, is that she's also married not only to just like a random dude, but to uh, like a, a well-known, very liked commander in the army. In fact, the army that David's supposed to be leading, but he's at home looking at other people's wives. And the story just snowballs from there. He, David um, Bathsheba gets pregnant, and so David starts to try to cover his tracks. So he, like, calls Uriah, her husband, home from battle and is like, hey, man, you should go home. Spend some time with your wife. And he's like, he's such a good guy that he's like, no, no, I can't. My my soldiers are out there in the field. Why would I go and sleep in my house and spend time with my wife when my soldiers are on the field? And David's like, ugh. And then David gets him drunk, and he's like, hey, man, you should go spend some time with your wife. And he's like, no, I can't. And so his plan to kind of cover his tracks here, if you're following what I'm saying, fails. And so he continues to backslide. He continues to just kind of cover tracks, cover tracks, cover tracks. And so he sends a letter in the hands of Uriah. This is the most, like, backstabby thing I can possibly think of. He hands Uriah a letter, and he's like, hey, give this to the guys that you command. When Uriah goes back to the battle, he hands them a note that says, kill me. Unknowing, unknowing you know what it says, he doesn't open it, but it says to withdraw from the battle line and send your ride to the front so that it gets killed. And he does. And that kind of covers sort of this like shame in David's eyes where like he didn't sleep with another man's wife, now he's gonna like take her and now it's his wife. So he marries Bathsheba and it's just absolute chaos. And you can imagine just like how tangled up david's heart is at this point like i'm sure he started to feel bad but then also he's covering his tracks like he didn't feel bad enough to make this right and the reality is is we probably have all done something similar to this in our lives not like this maybe not this bad maybe you did i don't know but we definitely start to backslide and then cover our tracks and then backslide and then cover our tracks and we find ourselves way way outside the circle it doesn't just happen overnight It's not like all of a sudden you just become a horrible human being after being, like, the king chosen by God. That's not how our human nature really tends to work. We backslide, and then we cover, and we backslide, and we cover. And so watching all of this is a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan is not necessarily, like, friends with David, but they've had conversations. And he's actually even, like, prophesied, like, listened to God and gone to David before and been like, hey, man, You are something special. God is going to do incredible things through you. He tells them, like, hey, don't build a temple just yet. Your son's going to do that, which is going to be, like, so cool. And everybody's going to love him for it. Um, But they're not, like, super tight. But they are in this group of people that, that we talked about just a second ago, a group of people that have looked each other in the face and been like, we're both doing this. We're both, like, we've both loved God. You call me out, I'll call you out. Good. Great. And so Nathan has to go to David. Now imagine this. What does Nathan have to lose going to the king who just had someone killed? Like Nathan has everything to lose here, but he faithfully listens to God and goes. So let's take a look at this. It's 2 Samuel 12, and it's a good bit of reading, but it's such an interesting story. I don't think you're going to mind too, too much, Um, but we're starting in in, in verse 1 here of chapter 12. It says, the Lord sent Nathan. All right, I'm going to stop there. That's all you need to know for now. This is the most important thing. If you're going like, to walk away from this and be like, I got a step-by-step guide of like how to call somebody out on their, their junk, I hope that's not all you get from this. But this is what you need to know. The Lord sent Nathan. Nathan wasn't just like, I don't like this. I don't like the way you've been acting. I don't like the way things have been going around here, so I'm going to say something. This was a thought-out prayerful response you can imagine Nathan did not want to have this conversation maybe for like the good of the people you know like like a kind of righteous good way but the Lord sent Nathan Nathan spent time listening to God about this and so if you are in a position where you feel like maybe I really need to talk to somebody about you know something that's going on in their life talk to God sit and listen Um, Nathan was so good at this We'll continue now. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men. He starts out by giving him a story. And it's brilliant. This is so good. Um, He said, There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other was poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. And it even slept in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. So he's building up this story of this this poor man who has nothing but this lamb, this lamb that he treats as a child. And it says, now a traveler came to the rich man, the other guy, the guy that has everything. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler, Uh, who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So this rich man takes this pet, like, daughter lamb and makes lamb chops out of it and serves it without, you know, just steals it and serves it to these travelers. And it says, David burned with anger. Which you can imagine, right? Like, you're like, this story is extremely unjust. I don't like this. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, which is a very big deal. If anybody says that, you've got to pay attention to what they're saying because they are really putting some power behind this. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Ooh, he's going to regret being that strongly worded here in a second. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Not you're the man. You are the man. You are the guy that just did this. You're the guy that said that you just said deserves to die because what you have done is just as despicable. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And this is where it's so important that Nathan went to God first so that he has these words. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why? Why did you despise the word of the God of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with your sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now... Therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. It gets a little repetitive in there. That's just kind of a stylistic thing. But I think you get the point. Nathan comes to David and says two extremely important things. God sent me and you are at fault. And if we break this apart and kind of look at it in like a, okay, I want to know how to do this. This is probably something important. James is telling us that we should we should bring people back into the circle. I think there's two things that, that are like really well done here, and I think that they came from him. Spending, one, it's spending time with the Lord, sitting with the Lord and being like, "What do I do here?" Uh, and then he is tactful. He starts with this like story. I'm not saying you have to come up with a story if you want to like confront someone about sin, um, but he is tactful. He speaks to David in a way that speaks to David. He doesn't come running at him and be like, "It's you! It's you! It's you! It's you! It's you! How dare you!" That would probably got, have got him, gotten him killed, honestly. Um, but he comes to David, and he tells him this story that draws him in. And then, so one, he is tactful, and two, he is direct. He is very direct. You are that man. It's, there's no beating around the bush, and this is the one that's hard for me. Like, I don't really have a problem of, like, correcting someone, but I really want them to, like, come to the conclusion by themselves. I'm like, hey what's going on in your life, like I've heard some things, we can't, we, we can't afford to, to be that soft, um, there is tactfulness, yes, but then there is, a, a, there is this idea of being very direct, and he says, you are that man, which is tough, right, like if we want to look at this and be like, okay, I want to try this, I want to try this myself, um, it's really hard to kind of plan this out and be like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. Uh, So I do want to share with you a time where this happened in my life. Not at a time that I was correcting someone, uh, but a time that I was confronted. So in high school, um, my best friend's name was Ryan, still my best friend. He's a great guy, total goofball, like just an absolute weirdo. Um, He had braces and there was always like goldfish stuck in them. I'm like, did you have goldfish today? Like what happened? Um, He was just a goofball, and we used to do really fun stuff together. Our group of friends was really good um, at just kind of like going against the flow, having our own fun, um, and we played Nerf at his house every Friday. Like, that was our thing. We would go to his house. This is in high school, senior year. We were playing with Nerf guns. It was awesome. Um, But my senior year of high school, I had... um, Gotten out of a relationship that lasted like two and a half years, which is so so crazy and weird to do when you're in high school. You shouldn't date people for two and a half years when you're 14. Um, but I was like cynical and angry, and I decided that like I was just going to do whatever I wanted, and just leave a path of destruction behind me. And at that point in in like high school, it's almost like people are like, "Yeah, yeah, do that." And so I was bragging to Ryan about this sort of, like, path of destruction that I had left behind me. Um, these girls that I had just absolutely treated like garbage. And, and this is my goofball friend. Like, this is the one that I expected him to be like, dude, cool, cool. And he just stopped. I'll never forget this. We were in my, 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 at my parents' house in the basement. He's sitting on the couch, and he looks at me, and he goes, how do you think God feels about that? And I was like, ugh. Did you just say that to me? Like, you're supposed to, like, cheer for me here. And I could tell he was uncomfortable. Like I I could tell he didn't want to have this conversation with me. But I could also tell that he'd been like practicing. That like this, this was coming. It wasn't just like a random thing. That like he had prepared for this. And I was like, what? And he was like, I just, I don't think this lines up with what God wants for you in your life. Like this is just, it's just bad. Like you're treating people terribly. And I very distinctly remember telling him, this is where I was nothing like David. Um, but I looked at him and I said, God does not care about the little things in my life. He doesn't care about the little things in your life. We are too small, too off his radar to matter. As long as you, like, follow most of the Ten Commandments, you're fine. And he looked me dead in the face and said, you are wrong. And I'll never forget that. There, there's, there are very few actual conversations that I remember from high school I will never, ever, ever forget that conversation. Not because it immediately like crushed my heart and sent me into repentance, but because that echoed through my life for years. As I continued to look back at that and been like, there was truth there. Like God was there and it was impactful to the point where like to this day, as I spend time with high schoolers and do Young Life. I mean, like, that is a story that I go back to over and over and over again because it is how to truly be a brother, to be a good friend. Um, and that's exactly what James is talking about, about pulling your brother aside and saying, like, listen, I love you too much to let you fall this far. I'm starting to see you backslide, and before you go all the way to killing hit like, your you know, commanders, I'm gonna pull you back in. And I'm so thankful that Ryan did that. And so there's, there's more to this than just like, hey, here's how to do this. Here's how to like confront people. Here's how to like love your brothers. Because there is something wrapped all around this that God has a part in that I love. And it is restoration. It is the restoring of God's kingdom through like horribly hard, kind of weird, broken things. It's what the kingdom should function as if you then go to psalm 51 you get to see david's repentance where he basically rips out his heart and he's like oh i am so so broken i am so sorry i cannot believe that i did this to god and to people and to this man and to this woman and i'm so busted up and then you fast forward and you see that in this horribly twisted story that has that has had this redemption in it, this like this restoration, restoration spreads. Because what happens next is that as David's wife, Bathsheba gives birth to another son who becomes Solomon. And Solomon is a great king. And he builds the house of the Lord, he builds the temple. And people loved Solomon. And Solomon did incredibly wonderful things for the kingdom of god born out of born out of a horrible horrible thing something that god chose to pick up and put back together again through nathan and that gets to be us so as you're sitting here thinking like i could never do that i could never confront somebody like this you can't just think of this as like i'm making someone follow rules we have to put ourselves in Nathan's shoes where we understand the bigger picture of restoration, that we are God's instruments in gluing back together a very broken world. And that's something that we can get behind. It's the namesake of our church, restoration, for this very reason, that God uses us, normal people, to take the broken world that we live in, glue it back together, and create kingdom a kingdom that he has been planning out for centuries that he has been piecing together piece by piece slowly over time and it's perfect and it's it's the kingdom of heaven and one day we'll see it into and it just come into its full fullness when heaven and earth combine and crash together but in the meantime we have a lot of work to do i'm going to pray for us uh and and we'll move on with our days Lord, thank you so much uh, for letting us be a part of your plan. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to love people around us, not only in the ways that, uh, that look like love, but in the ways that also look like tough love. Lord, teach us to pull people back in. Teach us to see when people have gone astray. Teach us to love everyone around us. Amen.